0: Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Hello and thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever. This is episode number 50. So it felt appropriate to do a little pause, a little happy dance and a celebration that we have 50 episodes of wonderful stories from dancers who are currently dancing as a bluebell dancer and some that go back, way back to the 50s or 60s. And I have to say this has been a delight to hear each story and to share each story and how excited I get every time a new one comes out because the most fun part for me is getting to share this with you. I love doing the interviews. I love hearing the stories and the wonderful connection that we have all around the world for with people who have danced for Miss Bluebell over all these years. So I want to first honor that we have 50 stories that have been told, and I hope to have 50 more. So if you have listened to this and you have a story you would like to share, please reach out. I would love to hear all the different perspectives of what this life as a professional cabaret dancer was like all through the eras. I do want to do a special thank you to my daughter, Taylor Kind, who has done all this work of getting it onto Spotify and iTunes. This was a dream of something I really wanted to do. And my favorite part is contacting people, recording the stories and sharing the photos and was intimidated about the back end of how this works of all the technology. So she has graciously been doing this for me all 50 episodes and hopefully beyond and taking that off my plate so that I didn't get stuck and not do it, because I just needed someone to do the part that I did not know how to figure out. So thank you, Taylor, for your hard work on this. Uh, coming up next, we have Pete Menifee. This is part two of his massive career. So this has a, some tender parts in the story. So just a fair warning, I do thank all the people who've been willing to be on this podcast with interviews of some things that are not just the, the easy part of our lives. So um i just want to treat all these with um care and tenderness and know that each person has a hard part of their story and if you choose to share that it's very risky but it also opens up a door for a lot of us to see how human we are and how much we are connected, not just in our joy, but also in our pain. So thank you all. Happy holidays and hope to see you continuing to listen and share with your friends and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, and even leave a review to help us get more listeners and hopefully eventually some sponsors. Thank you all. So back for part two is Pete Menefee. and Pete, I just have to say when I, I think you were my third interview. And that was when I made my list of who I wanted to interview, you were the top of my list. And I only knew of your name from the program because when I did Hello, Hollywood, Hello, I had never met you right. until the reunion two years ago and loved the, um, the mu- kind of the mini museum that was set up there with the costumes oh, and yeah. hearing your they story. Did, and I'm like, yeah. so as, soon as they did I knew a great I was job with them, that. I'm it just, was fun. And I, f- I feel like there was so much I learned that I had no clue when I was in the show. So I feel like I got the education I wished I'd had when <laughs> I was in the show but hearing you speak and you did tell a little bit of your dance career. So I knew when I was going to do a podcast, I needed to contact you and I didn't know if you'd say yes. So that was a thrill to me. And I was sharing, like, I kind of thought, well, an hour is about right. And we got going. And it felt so rude to stop at an hour because we had barely tapped into how rich your career is. So I think at the end we said, we'll do part two. And then I find out Athena has her podcast showgirls life and that you were on there. And I'm like, there was some similarity, but totally different. So I feel like if we just back and forth every month, we would have a year's worth of material just from your life. Oh. And so it feels like so important. And then I do want to brag on you a little bit more. And I've already told you this beforehand, but so many people in their interviews on their episode talked about working with you and how kind and I did have to say, cause kind can feel like a wimpy word. And I remember someone had <laughs> used this word about my son and she says, no, don't take that light. There's not enough kindness in the world. Uh, kind is a, is a strong word, it's not a wimpy word. Yeah. And I think we've talked a little bit before recording of just how intense those rehearsals and the fittings. And if you've got, we'll go into Don Arden stories but if you've got someone yelling at you and the dancers are kind of afraid and then you have this balance of kindness uh, especially around bodies. Like when people are being fit, there's something oh. that it stands in people's minds years later of words that you probably said and your actions that actually really made an impact that helped people get through that period. And so I just want to at first just acknowledge, cause you could have your mm-hmm. Emmys and all your awards, but if you were a poop head or let's just say an asshole, you know, we could be happy for your success, but I think people are even more happy when you know, like, Oh my gosh, he is such a good man. I'm so mm-hmm. thrilled that he's had all this success because you want to see it happen to really good people. So just Thank so you, you know, you were highly esteemed, not just for your talent, but just you as a human with a a good heart. So I don't say that very often. That probably feels cheesy, but to me it seems so important when you no, think I of pr- the I appreciate, entertainment. I
1: appreciate hearing it so much. Uh, you know, first of all, I was I was a dancer. So yeah. I've been through I've been through auditions and fittings and you know, I've I've been where all of you were.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And uh, uh, and number two, when someone's in a fitting, they're at their very most vulnerable.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, they're (laughs) naked in front of you, not really naked, but, you know,
0: pretty much. (laughs)
1: And uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's hard. It's difficult. And I'll tell you something, it's more difficult for stars than it is than it is for for a An 18 year old dancer who's in great shape you know
0: is it more vulnerable because they're being
1: seen you depend depend on uh, their trust that they uh, that they trust you implicitly that you will take care of them and that's how i felt about all the people in the show i mean i i feel that way about any fitting you're like a doctor you know
0: Mm. and there's (laughs) stuff that
1: people uh, you're, you're not critiquing anybody. You're trying to make them look better. You're trying to make them look the, the best. And it, was, it wasn't hard with Don, all of Don's hires, because everybody was beautiful. Everybody was tall. They were all pleasant. I, I never, in any of the shows I worked with Don, I never, never got one person with attitude, you know, Hi. ever. I really didn't um it i you know i i had a great time during the fittings and it's and it's lovely to hear that people feel that way about it Because when we very, think of our whole career quiet. it's
0: yeah and i feel like our careers there's so much like if i did the contract a year that's so many shows and there's things that are kind of a blur and then there's things each each Person's interview makes me remember a little jar my member like, oh, I remember what it was like after the show to walk out the door. I remember what it was like coming through. So I feel like I'm remembering more and more. But the things that really stand out are the things that are probably the most intense, (laughs) which is the rehearsals and learning the show and when things go wrong. And that's where, you know, if you you have that thing you can add to diffuse or to make someone feel like the the world's not against them, the show's not against them, their body's not against them.
1: Well, it's hard, it's hard work, it's hard work, you know, you guys are athletes. It's not, uh, it's not a, a fluffy duffy thing. Mm-hmm. where You get up <laughs> and wave your arms around, everybody works their ass off in a show like that. Yeah. And it's nonstop. And, you know, I've, I've, uh, I think the, the dressing rooms were on the deck as I remember in Hello Hollywood. Hello. Mm-hmm. Well, in Jubilee, they're two stories down. So anytime when you're finished with a hard dance routine, you get to hit those stairs, and I've so <laughs> i forgot I should I should really write it down and try to remember it. How many stairs there are, and how many steps the kids did just getting to stage and to the dressing room to change clothes and back. It's uh, it's it's incredible. Thank God you were all babies.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't would, imagine it doing it now. A middle just- person oh my gosh, you have to stop and get a stool and rest, just trying to get from one end to the other. Yeah. So when you, when people ask, I mean, people know who you are, but I, do you have something that you resonate with more? Like I'm a dancer, I'm a, a designer. I'm a, I mean, you had such a thing, but do you, do you feel like one is more who you identify with or what people, or you feel like you're not even I, any? Of it? I don't
1: even think about it. I'm always yeah. a gypsy. Yeah. I'm always a gypsy. I was a dancer for 12 years, professional dancer. Being paid, and uh, uh, and I, I you know I grew up with all the gypsies, so I have that kind of a sense of humor. Yeah. which can be a little <laughs> tough, and uh, uh, or or self-aggrandizing, uh, but it's uh, I I I feel more comfortable with dancers really than mm-hmm. i do with any other group of people
0: oh my just, there's something I, with I, the costumes like how i've done shows where somebody has a vision but they don't know dancers and they're expecting things that are like unattainable like you're going to put this christmas tree on your head and dance or yeah you're, or like i've done shows like here's four dollars make a costume like oh, i can buy yeah. a washcloth like they don't yeah you so they understand. do that
1: I always tell new kids when they're, when they're coming out or when I'm teaching at FITM or one of the colleges like CalArts, I always tell the kids, if you ever get to do uh, uh, a big uh, cabaret show that involves feathers and stuff, I said, don't, don't do it unless you can get the best feathers in the world because nothing looks seedier than mm-hmm. old tired ostrich boa. Right. Nothing, <laughs> nothing in the world.
0: The sound and, effect is uh, like, wah, wah, and wah. they were
1: and they were fabulous at Jubilee. You know, they would uh, fly me in after about uh, uh, the the mid nineties. They used to fly me in, and I'd watch like four or five shows, and I'd with Donna and Fluff, and then uh, and Diane Palm, and I would give them notes and say, well, you know, the yellow and whites really need to be changed year after next, if not next year. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we, would, we would talk about the show and that's how the budgets happened. Uh, you, have to, you have to stay on top of it.
0: My finale uh, cape was in that museum talk that we did. The pink with oh. the I saw. I, I cried when I saw it. Might have there was only one like that. I feel like mine had balls hanging out, but that one had feathers. So there might have been two that were similar. But I remember it had like a little bit of plastic because we would drag those. Oh, yeah. on the stage. So then to clean those I remember looking like I don't remember ever seeing I remember the costume was repairing things like things would need a repair it would rip right. and we would give that to them to fix or laundry day but I never knew what happened with the feathers because I don't I the show was only like a year was two years old by the time I finished so I don't know yeah. if there had been total redos or did they take oh yeah no it? they
1: changed complete feathers uh, uh the uh, heat wave was originally oh. coke feathers rooster Oh really? And uh, after a while, it got changed to turkey. And, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, when I saw the costumes again, I would, I, I was surprised. I said, "You know, I didn't do those, but those aren't the original feathers. I mean, even the original type of feathers."
0: I was and, in the show like in a year and a half into it, and I'm. They were turkey feathers, I think, because it was that soon on. I think.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Do they move yeah. different? Because you know how things move too, like how. Yeah. If someone could cop, they can't copy what you did and keep the way that you know how to move fabric and move dancers. So I feel like there's so much of your your vision that whatever you did to learn art is something that's different than if someone just did art school. Like how you know movement and you know dancers, well, like yeah, how that it's, translates. It, and it's,
1: it's not something you learn in art school. It's something yeah. you learn as a dancer. Yeah, you know, those those costumes how, aren't how, just how standing still. How a cape's going to work? And of course, I'd done a lot of ice shows too. And of course, if you have something that drags on the ice, it gets <laughs> wet and filthy, and you know. So we we always used to put uh, plastic under it, stitch plastic, and the audience never really sees it. But number yeah. one, it makes the cape move easier, because yeah. it glides on the floor instead of getting stuck at times. And it also keeps it stretched out so you kind of can't step on it. And uh, a lot of tricks like that from ice shows I used in uh, Hello Hollywood.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I just know like the Ben-Hur piece that was in which we'll get to all that too about the whole uh, circus thing but they had those horses and they would poop on stage and I just remember oh, like yeah. if that's and if you have your path you're not supposed to divert from but you don't want to get that expensive costume in the horse poop no, but I feel don't. like there's a way you can move your cape and not not drag that's it through a right. bunch of horse shit on stage.
1: Well I did I did Radio City Music Hall for 20 years and if you think there was poop on your stage you should do nativity one time oh, right. with goats and sheep and camels and horses. I mean, I did a TV oh. special one time and Beverly Sills was going to sing Ave Maria while we we showed the uh, uh, part of the nativity going on in back of her. And I looked at the stage and one of the kings was making an entrance and the king the king's long robe. Under the robe, it looked like there were animals playing, because there were so many big turds oh, no. from the camels and stuff. <laughs> and I was in the booth, and I I remember saying to the director, "Could you pan up just a little bit so we don't see what's going on with the cape?" And everybody started laughing because nobody had noticed it.
0: And it's televised
1: yeah it was a tv special with ann margaret i did
0: when did you do um radio city after all the the big like hello hollywood and jubilee or did that come before or over we did it after
1: i started in 89
0: did you do all the costumes
1: i did everything really a lot of the props too
0: oh my gosh how because those some of those numbers like the the majorette like i feel like there's they're then they're iconic. They're there forever. Or did you have new costumes and new pieces that you designed, or was it? Too no, I, if it was
1: if it was a traditional costume like wooden soldiers that That's had been meant, designed yeah. in '33 by Vincent Minnelli, uh, I just up I just upgraded it. The hats originally were buckram with uh, with vinyl over them, and of course by the time I got there in '89, there were lots of plastics available. So, number one, you didn't have to uh wire the hat. you could construct it without wiring, and you could wipe it off with a sponge and it never got nasty.
0: Really? never
1: collapsed like it would have if it was uh, if it was uh, a buckram uh, but on the other hand, the pants still had to go out and be starched. They're incredibly designed, incredibly designed. Yeah. But I, I did, I brought a lot of stuff in. I did the rag dolls originally. I did the wreaths, um, uh, I did uh, a, a number called Carol of the Bells. And uh, it was, uh, we called it sticks or chicks with sticks. And, uh, <laughs> and at the end of it, the girls all had xylophones on their back and they played jingle bells on each other. <laughs> in hello so hollywood silly. we
0: had the rose petals with the xylophones
1: that's right that's we right
0: we had, had to learn a little music so when you're doing these things that are so well known and huge like the responsibility for to work with don arden and doing and this brand new show hello hollywood which we talked about in the other interview people can refer back to that did you feel like yeah i got this or was that like scary or to do rockettes like everything you've done basically has been no. huge
1: no because you kind of just you know, I had, I had done a lot of big stuff uh, before I started doing that for Disney and, and for other studios. And uh, it's just a matter of organization and doing it a little at a time. You don't do everything at once. Yeah. You know, and- Because uh, when people
0: review the show, did people review the, are co- you know, they just say this, the costumes were spectacular or is there yeah. ever reviews about that, you know, oh, yeah, between them we, when there were so many shows, like the show- get, we,
1: get, we get good reviews. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, well, you did the circus number, you know, the freak alley in, yeah. in the circus number. Okay, the uh, snake charmer made Time Magazine. Oh, really? Yeah, big picture of her. I was so, I was just thrilled.
0: Oh my gosh, I have to find that. Because yeah. Lindy, Lindy guessed hers is coming up next week and she talked about being in group D, which they thought was an insult because the way Don said it, you're this group and you guys are the freaks. And, but they also oh. didn't have to, they didn't <laughs> have to do tiller. And they were like, they were sad. They weren't in the kick line, but they're like, wait a minute. We don't have to do a kick line two nights a week. But she did talk about like, like she was a giraffe lady. Oh yeah. Another friend of mine was that where I like the, the things that they had to move around with, but of course you have to take a tall girl who knows how to hold her body, but designing that too, like this has to be spectacular, but also not like knock them over or they can't actually move in these things. Cause those, those are yes. incredible.
1: Yeah, the uh, the uh, when I when Don told me I was doing a freak alley, I kind of freaked out <laughs> because I think it it's kind of denigrating, you know, the fat yeah. lady and the tattooed right. lady and the bearded lady and 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 uh, and I I always tried to find a, a hook that would be amusing uh, for it. In fact, uh, the uh, uh, African lady that you're talking about. Uh, was based on them showing you yeah, at, the, uh, at circuses and I didn't want to do Ubangis, but I did uh, uh, the ladies have a, a, a thing where they wear jewelry once they're married and it stretches their necks and the more the richer the guy is the longer the neck is on the woman. I didn't
0: know that's what that oh yeah. really
1: and that's what that was all about but then i stretched her neck until her head was four and a half feet o- over right. her real head and then it would the fake head was attached to her head so it could if she walked out it could look at the audience you know she could do quarter bra stuff and it had feathers on it so you could see it when it moved and so i think
0: uh, those costumes really did showcase your ingenuity like how how it wasn't just to stand there; they had to move, and the oh, they had to move
1: I, it. They all did something. They all yeah. did something. In I fact, was a fat lady was, for yes.
0: one show.
1: Oh, just when my the, and the they, fat, just to make the, and they were they were all based on friends of mine. The giraffe oh. neck lady was called Lola, the, Lola the <laughs> oh, giraffe yeah. neck lady, and it was Lola Falana.
0: Real oh, okay. okay. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and uh, the uh, and uh, the, the heavy lady was a uh, 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 baby Elena or educated pig. which is something that I really had seen in a circus so the pig was a puppet she had a fake arm (laughs) that held the pig and the pig did addition on a slate it could add one and one is two and two and two is four and stuff and when I got to sword swallowers I thought well that's just gross you know no one wants to see a, a pretty woman with her boobs out you know eating up a sword, <laughs> that <Right. was> disgusting. <laughs> so uh, I remembered uh, a, a television show I had done with Liza Minnelli, and we had uh, when the show started, we had a, a new Russian cutter work for us at NBC uh, named Zena, and uh, Zena screwed up one of Liza's dresses pretty bad. Pretty uh-huh. bad. So the sword swallower became Xena, the human pincushion. Okay, okay, She so, had swords she had sword sticking all over her body and the one on her head could move back and forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. so she wasn't a sword swallower. Okay, that makes sense. I remember now the pincushion. No, I,
1: I, I couldn't figure out how to do that. I thought it was nasty.
0: Yeah, no. That what you came up with is much more, and I feel like yeah. they and there was still integrity. I think for the girls who were called themselves the freaks, Group D, they they the, the characters all felt like there was still some, I don't know, some class and a little bit of power in them being freaks oh. and owning it, as opposed to it like the sideshow absolutely. freaks. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Well, the snake charmer was is probably one of the sexiest looking things I've ever done, Ooh. and funniest because yeah. two of her she had fake arms, and two of her arms were snakes so they could play with her boobs. They could kiss her, they could, (laughs) you know. And it was was a pretty costume too. It's a beautiful costume.
0: Well, uh, I kind of want to jump around a little bit just because people don't hear what we say before we record. Okay. But we had shared a little bit because I do want to do an episode of just coming out of like kind of a very religious, it wasn't my family. It was my own choosing to go to a very extreme Baptist church and then to be told that dancing is of the devil because yeah. it might lead to drugs or playing cards or possibly sex. Um, mm-hmm. And that like uh, to go to that show and just be in this, this kind of a bind of loving this more than anything I've ever done ah. and feeling like, is this wrong or bad? And then when you shared about you coming out of your like parochial school and then to draw nude women, like there's a little bit of a bind there. So I don't know if you want to share some of that sure. That was yeah. part of what you want to share, but sorry. Yeah, no, it's,
1: it's uh, I, I, I thought I thought it was amusing, but it was it was a real uh, stopgap for me when when I first drew for Don. I, I had seen nude shows and stuff, uh, but I had never really paid much attention to how it was done. So I, I was a real neophyte, a real neophyte, and uh, and all of my stuff up to that time had been very Disney esque, had been very had been cute and funny and you know pretty yeah Uh, and the first time I sat down with a a piece of blank paper I freaked out I just sat and looked at the paper for probably like half an hour because I had gone to parochial school I'm Catholic and uh, I'd been an altar boy for five years and uh, and served in Latin because I'm I'm old enough for that. <laughs> and uh, I'd been a Boy Scout. And, you know, I'd been uh, growing up, I'd been taught to respect women. And having somebody in an evening gown with their tits out it, isn't sh- na- normally showing a lot of respect. But uh, designing for cabaret is like learning a foreign language. It's, mm. it's very different. It's, it has its own mores, uh, it has its own standards. Um, and, and then you have to put your taste into it as well. And, and how you feel about you know, how women look undressed or partially dressed. And uh, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't think I did it that well in Hello Hollywood, Hello. But by Jubilee, I spoke the language really well. Yeah.
0: Well, were you looking at nude bodies? Because I mean, all the breasts were different, but like, they hired women who were smaller busted. They didn't want you to bounce. But when you're drawing this, is it like, I just, my, I had a massage client today that I didn't, she was, she's a nude model for artists. So we were just talking about what that's like. And she's very comfortable with her body, but yeah. like, you know, just posing different ways because different angles change. And, and my daughter does incredible art and she does a lot without like with nude. And the first time drawing that, it feels like almost like, like, you're drawing someone's boobs on them. And I don't know, like, like then she started paying more attention to like all the body shapes. And so I'm just curious because like, we were all tall and slender. Yeah. But like, did you, what was that like for you to draw that and like look at women and feel okay with that and, and like, giving them the best bodies that anyone could ever want when you draw it. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you know, uh, the only reason I drew the best bodies was because I had the best bodies. Okay, so you, you were know. kind of
0: going off what you were seeing constantly. Yeah, Don,
1: Don was, uh, was uh, extremely choosy about his talent. And uh, uh, the women, uh, particularly the, the women, they had to be beautiful. They had to be tall. They had to have long legs. Uh, they had to be able to dance really well. I mean, they were all trained dancers. We had, most of the people mm. in the show were, were uh, uh, ballet trained. And, and some of them out of ballet companies where they had gotten too tall. Yeah. Because a six foot woman, uh, if she gets on point, is seven feet tall. Well, yeah. you know, I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> what boy is going to partner? What boy? Tommy Toon,
0: maybe. <laughs> <But> right. <laughs> not,
1: there aren't a lot of guys who can do finger turns with a woman who's that high, who's that yeah. tall. And uh, so there were there were so many boxes to check uh, when you were auditioning for Don. But the, the final result was you got these people that were like goddesses. You know, they were beautiful. Had and they were young, everybody was Mm -hmm. very young, and they had beautiful bodies, so it was no, it was no trick to dress them,
0: Yeah, you
1: know, it was just, you know, whatever you could do to to make them prettier, it was like gilding the lily, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a a privilege uh, to be able to do that on that scale, on that scale, because even in, in France, when you look at a lot of the uh, a lot of the shows like Paradis Latin, uh, there are like six showgirls in it. Well, we had forty eight. Yeah, we had two two um. groups: tall nudes and short nudes. And the short nudes were started at five eight and a half. And when you put a <laughs> five eight and a half woman in three and a half inch heels, she's six feet tall before you put a hat on her. Right. So uh, the 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 people were. A, a privilege to design for. And, uh, and, uh, and the other great thing about it is a lot of the people that Don hired had been showgirls at the Lido uh, and, or had it, a lot of the dancers had worked for Bluebell. That was the only person they'd ever worked for. Mm. So they all knew what to do with the clothes. They all knew how to walk in the clothes. They all knew. And Don you know, wouldn't let just somebody schlep across stage, you had to learn how to walk for him, just to walk. Yeah. And uh, the result was, was that a lot of women in the show could walk to center stage and take stage, completely have the whole audience going, oh my God. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you go without, places and they, the other people can't anything, do Without doing anything,
1: without no fouettes, no, right. <laughs> no walkovers, just you know, they, they knew how to do it. And that was, that was delightful. You know, well, that. you said
0: that you watched, uh, you were at those big auditions.
1: Cause yeah. when the one I
0: did, it was the sh- hello, Hollywood been going about a year and a half, but there was still like 300 of us at that audition. It was in Vegas. Oh yeah. But you knew you like, it's, I love how you said before we recorded, like you were, you're very much a study of character and you knew what Don likes. So when you're at an audition and you're seeing 300 more or more, could you kind of see, like, by watching them dance, who you thought Don would pick sure. out? Oh yeah. What was it? What were you seeing that you knew he well, would
1: the, see? Uh, you know, because I was a dancer. The first thing, if a group of women, like twelve women, were dancing at a time, you'd look to see who danced well. Mm-hmm. You know, who had good line and who had authority on stage. That wasn't, mm. you know, somebody that just wasn't kind of doing the steps, and then. Once that got narrowed down, you started seeing what the women were selling, what what their faces looked like while they were dancing. You know, did they look, you know, interesting? Did they look happy to be doing it? Did they look, you know? And all all of the people that were just technical got weeded out then. You know, interesting.
0: It's you know, I would just say like almost. 90 percent of the people that i've interviewed that talk about their audition all talk about their outfit they wore and how embarrassed they were i had a black leotard and tights ballet yeah. shoes somebody had a pink unitard Anne marie had a red unitard somebody had mm. like the wrong underwear not knowing they, the males that they also had to strip down they're like Stripped oh my gosh here. these are not the underwear that i thought but like none of us were prepared because i remember seeing girls come out with the fishnets and the heels and oh, the yeah. jeweled everything, and get cut and i had never done an audition So it was, I mean, you know you learned how to audition the next time of what to wear. But so many of us were so green, but still Don. Like I wasn't, I didn't know how to do a showgirl walk, but there must there's something. Nobody nobody
1: does until they learn it.
0: Until they learn it, because there's something he must see past. Like my hair was down. He yelled at me to put my hair up off my face and then he kept me. But I didn't know that going in. But he could see through some of us are naivete and our like lack of the correct shoes to give us a chance because I could see they'd say these girls are dressed like it. They've done it higher than, but he gave so many of us a chance and same with bluebell that there must've been something that he can see beyond.
1: It was dancing. It was
0: the dancing. Yeah.
1: It was the dancing, your line, your authority Mm -hmm. about dancing. Do, Mm -hmm. Do you really know how to do this combination or are you just kind of trying to get through it? You know? And, and I know
0: what yeah. Cause it at the, um, okay. yeah, I hope that works. I know talking it to you at the reunion that I, my story was like, however many that he told me to pull my hair up and he yelled at me and he made me come forward. Yeah. He said, and oh. he said to our group, you stay, the rest of you go take dance classes where I felt like that felt prideful to say that. And I, but I remember shaking and then making it, but I didn't realize until I heard you talk about like what his um, exceptional line that oh. you had to get to. And then going, Oh my gosh, like we, we really did. We really were yeah. good because I think we didn't know because we heard each other's stories, but we didn't hear the magnitude of what you got to witness, of what you saw mm-hmm. casting audition after. And then you'd see people try to get through rehearsals. And like, if people fall apart, if they don't have that strong character to yeah. make it through these grueling. So you're seeing something, I'm sure the more you see these auditions and you know what, what is required, you, you can tell yeah. when someone's no, just no, not absolutely. mature enough either.
1: Absolutely. I mean, people would walk on stage and I would think, you know, this a lady singer, and I would think this woman has a death wish, you mm. know. <laughs> and Don's going to kill her, and he did.
0: He did, you know.
1: I and know he, he was did. cruel
0: about weight, and I think he and uh, I don't know if he, well, told he that. Well, he had that. to be
1: cruel about weight. Look what yeah. you wear in the show, right? Was he think ever that cruel that a, about a woman who's one hundred and seventy-five pounds is going to get into a g-string and perform in front of an audience?
0: Yeah. Well, the audacity to show up, either you don't know or you don't know Exactly. accurate. Did it, he ever get it, it on faces? To, it
1: used to kill me. And I, I felt very badly for the kids, but I also felt badly that they were ignorant enough to, uh, to show up. You have and, to research and what to you're doing. Pa- And try to get past it. Uh, I, and it didn't matter how well you sang or you danced. You know, if you were five feet four and you, you danced like a wild woman, it didn't matter you would not get in the show you'd you be lost in it. that
0: sea of these tall and
1: uh, it's 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 very hard and i know that don has a real bad rap about auditions but when you think about what he wanted and how many people he had to sit through <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know and eventually it would wear on him and he would he would uh, start He'll let to it go snap and, and get. Well- and get tough and it, it's funny like hair when you see the shows you see the girl's face you don't see their hair nobody's selling hair yeah. and so and a lot of women try to cover their face with their hair with bangs oh, that says and, a lot too you know, yeah and, and I have a lot of it coming down this way or they'll take all their hair and put it over both sides of their shoulders to make it look like they have more hair
0: just you get know, that out of the is, way so it he can see. matter. Your face right.
1: matters. You know, know, this
0: probably bugs you like crazy too when you see pictures of the Vegas showgirls for cannot photos on the side it. and their hair is hanging out of there. And hanging that makes out. me do this cannot, like, ah, yeah, that's a little I bit of I cannot stand it. G- it's so, gag- it <laughs> so
1: awful and cheesy looking.
0: Yeah, like put that that's, hair out because You know,
1: when people say uh, they think that showgirls are whores, that's what that look, makes me think of
0: oh yeah it looks so opposite of class terrible
1: i mean really really terrible yeah and and, you know ungroomed i guess is the thing that bothers me about it
0: yeah you've you've got all this beautiful stuff on your costume why and the hair is such a huge destroy it makes me think of like um Irish setter with the ears <laughs> yeah, it's like stick those in the back that's not that's not the look yeah, we're going yeah. for
1: no it's it's a terrible it's a terrible look and they're doing it in vegas now too they either so have weird. the girls pull it back in a ponytail well
0: they do have them take yeah it in their in, face. at okay. the lido
1: at the lido in the blue costumes at the beginning
0: oh those are so
1: stunning or or they uh, or they have it down yeah which is i i just think is the worst I mean, I, I, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it really, that really o- offends me. It really bothers me. Yeah. You're not looking at the woman anymore. You're looking at her hair. You
0: yeah. Know? And if you're moving, that's going to be flying and.
1: Yeah. And getting scraggly and, you know, and not everybody has the same hair. So it's a bad ensemble look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, your eye will oh. go to the one who has the longest hair or the blondest hair or the reddest hair
0: yeah
1: and uh and it's terrible it's terrible for the show it's terrible for the girls you don't really look at a girl's face or you don't really see her face
0: yeah and
1: there's hair hanging down like that
0: well it's and interesting too if really you take them tell
1: if a girl has has good cheekbones if yeah she has a lot of hair on the side Well, i think
0: that, it's something without the hair you're noticing like what makes you, what are you drawn to? Cause if you're drawn to like, oh, the blonde or the whatever, like if without the hair, like you have to have a little extra to draw attention yeah. without standing well, that's, out, but still... your
1: That's what your cell is on stage. Yeah. And all the, the thing that I loved about it was when Don picked showgirls, they were all different. There weren't two girls who looked alike in that, in that group. And they all kind of had a different cell on stage. You know, some would be very aggressive looking and someone, some would be totally virginal, you yeah. know, like, a, like an, an ingenue. My male cat almost walked in front of me. The-
0: <laughs> Every Zoom, everything I do, my dog's butt or my cat's butt is in it. So that's like, it's not video, which is good. Um, I have a question though, because you, was it 30 or 35 years you worked with Don Arden?
1: Uh, 30, I did Hello Hollywood, Hello. I, that was I your started first. working in 1978. I started drawing it Um, and we opened that show. And then in, or no, I started with him in 75 or 74 on Hello Hollywood. Oh my gosh.
0: And it opened in 70s. I think it
1: opened in 75 or 76, right?
0: I think it's, I came in in 80 and I think it opened 77 or 78, but I could be wrong.
1: Well, I worked for two years before that.
0: That was two years of prepping for that show.
1: Yeah, in prepping. Wow. You have
0: yes. no idea how much work and how much time. Oh,
1: And you, you know, it's, it's funny. It sounds like a long time. It really does. But if, if when I would start drawing a section for Don, uh, like the showgirls, you would draw, you would have 48 showgirls. You would draw three or four. And I always made them finished, beautiful sketches, because I was really trying to sell whatever I wanted. And then he would okay that. And then you'd go ahead and draw the rest of them. Well, you know, to draw 48 different showgirls takes a minute. And then you also think that when you draw a showgirl, you have to take the sketches back to Paris, you have to sit down with the people at Maison Favrier, and go through each sketch, and they have their own Bible that you've made for them. You go through the sketch and say these are Piquet pheasant, these are our Lady Amherst pheasant, this is male ostrich, this is female ostrich, and then and then they put an order in. It's like going it's like going to a grocery store, and then they call South South Africa their farms, and they say we need four tons of male ostrich, and we need such you know eight hundred. Uh, Lady Amherst pheasants and stuff. That's just a start. Then you have to go back to, to LA and draw all the jewelry to scale exactly how oh. you want it. And then you go back to Paris and you meet with your jeweler. Bob worked with Vicaire and I worked with a, a Dutch jeweler named uh, 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 Jacques Ricoeur. And uh, you go through every piece of jewelry with them. And they have a book with all of your drawings to scale, drawn exactly to scale. Now, a woman who's a showgirl could have the jewelry could be a G, an underwire, a choker, uh, a necklace, uh, boucle de ray, uh, earrings, uh, mm. lower bracelets, upper bracelets. There could be jewelry on the hat. You know, and that's one woman and she could have seven, eight pieces of jewelry on her that all have to be drawn separately. Mm. Then later, when they get the feathers from South Africa, you, we, Bob and I took a model that had worked for Don before. And she stood her in front of a huge roll of butcher paper suspended from the ceiling. And we literally drew how all the feathers were, which ones curved, had a double curve to them. Uh, if everything went one way, and it was all drawn to scale, so that they could they could take a pheasant feather and lay it down, and with an iron, iron it into that shape, and then wire it. You know, and that was before they put it together. Yeah, and that was before they had just dyed the feathers, maybe, uh, but. And every, show, every feather in the show was drawn like that, was drawn to scale on, on, on brown butcher paper. And then, you know, you, you have to source the stuff and you have to make the stuff and, and it takes, it just takes, you're, you're never in, in a year and a half or two years, you are literally never stopping. You're and you're
0: flying back and forth and you're drawing and, and, you're just, and, and you're checking and that was, to you see know, that
1: was, But that was the fun of working for Don because he wanted the best stuff in the world and he knew where to get it. You yeah. know, Swarovski from Czechoslovakia. And then we went to, the when I, when I would take uh, Jacques Ricoeur, my drawings for the jewelry, we would go through all of that. And then one day, the, like the third day, we would go over to Swarovski in Paris, and we'd pick out all the stones, you know, what colors you wanted, what size, and, you know, if you wanted something weird, or a funny shape or stuff. So it was, uh, it just opened the whole world for me. Uh, the feathers. Like, uh, you that know. sounds like
0: a play, like you're in a in a like a kid in a big you know costume oh, box and it's a and a ton of work so were costumes coming together like these are done or was everything kind of coming all at different times because well, different, different people times. you
1: you would push for one set of things
0: okay. and it's funny
1: because you'll you'll uh, you'll recognize this you did the kick line right yes okay so you were clowns pretty so we beautiful beautiful clowns, beautiful
0: clowns. <laughs>
1: and you had a nude leotard which was built at Elizabeth Courtney costumes in Hollywood. It went to two beaters. It went to a beater to have the sequins put on it on all the pieces. Mm-hmm. It, There's uh, a if kind you of remember, zigzaggy. It was separate, it was all separate pieces. It was pro- there were probably 12, 14 pieces on each leotard. It went to have the sequin work done, then it went to have the rhinestone work done on top of the sequin work. Okay, that was just oh, yeah. the leotard. And then there was the ruffling that, that went around your neck and on your sleeves and on uh, your, your bum
0: mm-hmm. and
1: around the bottom of the leotard. And that all had to go to the pleaters and stuff and be measured and pleated and, and then finished. you know. And every, everything that was on that, your, your neck, your bum, your sleeves, once they cut the pleating and stitched it, it all had to be ironed back into pleats cuz the mm. stitching flattened everything out yeah then you had gauntlets which was mm-hmm. the same thing those were made they had to go to the beaters they had to go they had to go have sequin work they had to have beading work then there was the hats oh then there were the boots and one mm-hmm. boot was orange and one boot was pink and then there was the hats and there was a base of uh, buckram made of double buckram Mm. so there were i think there were 48 of you in the line with swings and spares. so we had 48 buckram pieces or we thought we did and then that was covered with fabric that went to the beaters and the jewelers and then on top of that or attached to that was the wig the red wig and then attached to the and then there was the hat which was made of plastic, and it had a covering that went to the beaters and the jewelers. And then there was a metal stanchion of number 15 spring steel that supported the feathers. So the stanchion got sewed down first. Then the hat went over the stanchion, and then and the stanchion was wrapped in in uh, pink and orange, uh, the twill tape. And then when the feathers finally came from Paris, they were attached to the stanchion, and you had a headpiece. Well. We, so every, there were so many people that touched that hat the milliners, the beaters, uh, the wire workers, uh, the wig makers. You know, it was a hundred steps to the, to the hat. We got to the feathers and we had one feather extra. Everybody else had counted only to, to 47. All those people that worked on it only counted to 47. The Paris people were correct.
0: Yeah.
1: Amazing. Oh, but that's why that's why it takes so long to do a show like
0: yeah.
1: that. Yeah. You know, there's and were so all these
0: in? Was this all being made in Paris, or were they even in different countries? So they the, were in this different all-
1: countries. The feathers were being made. Uh, the feathers were being made in Paris. The uh, leotard was being made, and, and the ruffles were being made uh, uh, at Courtney's in Hollywood. The shoes were made in Paris. Uh, the jewelry was made in Paris, uh, the plastic work was done in New York.
0: Oh my God! It was,
1: it was incredible and you know, and you have to just organize it. But I mm-hmm. remember when we got to the last, Tommy the milliner came down and said, you have one feather set too, too many. And I said, well, you know, that's not possible. So we started, you know, and Ray, Ray was going crazy. He had the, hat, the hats all lined up on, on the headpieces, and everybody in the, in the shop counted them. And people kept saying, oh, there's 48 here, there's 48 here. There weren't, there were 47. So one had to have, go from scratch, had to have the buckram pulled, it had to have the wig made, it had to have the hat made, it had to have all the beading done, it had to have the wireframe made. It was incredible i mean incredible it took probably an extra week and a half to do the one half oh my
0: gosh
1: because you had to go to all these places and say well you know you guys didn't count right
0: so you're there for the opening of the show and the da- they've been rehearsing and learning and then do the costumes I didn't. I didn't get to ever. Oh, op- you know, I came in. The show was already going. Right. Was it like we introduced, like, let's do Heat Wave with the costumes, or was it like you're in your leotard and now we're full costume every piece? Like, how did they no, introduce no, that no. to make sure? No, you
1: you dressed a a, a set a section like Heat Wave, or Fred Astaire, okay, or uh, or uh, day and night, night and day, um, uh, and then eventually you put it all together. So your first act. Would have the airplane, and I've forgotten what Blue Sleeves mm-hmm. and Fred Astaire, and you know, uh, oh, and and no, after Blue Sleeves was uh, uh, Heat Wave, and then Fred Astaire, and then Fred Astaire Staircase. So eventually, you'd get a whole act together, but but you start just with little little hunks
0: Yeah, and things probably didn't all work. Automatically. No. And the, the kids, like, you know,
1: the first time the kids have it on and you're doing heat wave and stuff, and the girls are all those know, like something. that with those huge headpieces. Yeah. And stuff
0: Wow. So what show did so you went from Hello Hollywood and then did Jubilee.
1: Jubilee. And then I did the a show for him that was never produced that was replacing Hello Hollywood. That was a trip around wow. the world.
0: Was it when it was going to close and just didn't reopen or was it eventually uh, we're going to get to? Hello
1: Hollywood was closing and they hired me to do uh, the new show. And I was the only designer on it. And I worked with Don for seven months and then they sold MGM.
0: Oh man. I
1: know. Oh man is right. I was in New York uh, doing the Easter show and uh, uh, my friend Tom, Called me and said, I have some bad news for you. I said, What's that? He said, They just sold the MGM Grant. I said, You're kidding me. It just just
0: breaks my heart. Because it totally changed because they didn't bring, they just let all that go, right? And they tried to keep that stage for headliners, but it was never
1: there was no intention. The first thing they did on the stage was a chorus line, which is all solo numbers. Can you imagine? They would look like tiny little dots on there
0: oh no actor could pull that off no oh my gosh unless you had like a hundred something people in like the for one they just keep coming down the stairs
1: exactly so So. did you go
0: right into jubilee so the timing on this because i know we talked a little bit about the fire and we'll like if you wanted because i know athena is doing a whole uh, episode Mm -hmm. on that for her so we want to make sure to but i know like that's a huge giant thing in your timeline of like you're going show to show to show but then you've got like this stop with the fire and like I told you I was in Hello Hollywood we heard about it and I remember people crying because they had friends in it I didn't quite understand because it's not like now you can google it I think it was only hearsay and talks and I think it was years later that I heard more of the stories and now hearing people that were closer to it because you were like you're in your stride you've done one show and now you're getting ready to open another show
1: yeah we were three when the fire started, we were three weeks away from opening. The only costume I didn't have in complete in the show was Delilah. And I had just flown, I had just come to, to LA to uh, finish it and then fly back up with it. And all the jewelry, it was just coming in from Paris for Delilah and uh, the, the shoes uh, from Clairvoy for the men in Samson and Delilah and, uh, and your boots for kick line, came in at near the very end, near the very end. And so we were almost ready to open. We'd been doing dresses. We'd worked for five months up there. No.
0: Do, they, do, I, do they know what happened? What started the fire?
1: Yeah, it was a grease fire that started in the hamburger joint.
0: Wow, and it did yeah. that much damage. Cause I think even, I didn't understand how much was damaged until hearing it oh, years later. The whole
1: hotel. And the thing that was terrible was uh, when the fire started, all of the trim, all of the Ormolu that was in, 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 the, ga- in the gaming area was all made of plastic. Oh. So it not only burned, but it melted. And then the odor from it, you know, was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it just, and it, it incinerated the whole downstairs.
0: So people were what, there gambling and then they get out, but then the people that are up above, I, that's where- I don't,
1: I, don't, I don't know what happened down below. We had rehearsed very late. Don loved uh, to start at like, uh, I mean, we'd work during the day and stuff and do individual things and, and sewing and stuff like that. But he liked to start at about four or five and then we'd work until like two in the morning which we did that day. Wow. And uh, so we all left exhausted. And I had uh, 14 people staying with me at the hotel, uh, tailors and, and stitchers and milliners and beaters and uh, uh, people that were helping fit the shoes. And we all, everybody was just dead tired. You know, we'd been working. And we used to come in at 10 in the morning to start the, start the shop. So I'd work from 10 in the morning until two, two in the the next morning. And I'm not an evening person. I'm ready for the trash. And you're doing
0: like little tiny detail things and you have to pay attention, right? Like when you're tired, that sounds like the hardest thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, everything's hard when you're tired. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I went to bed at two and I heard sirens at seven, you know, which was. Five hours later, but there were always sirens on on uh, flamingo, always mm-hmm. police cars and and you know, ambulances and everything, and I didn't think much about it. And then I smelled smoke, oh, and I went, God. "Oh shit!" And um, I got up and I pulled a pair of pants on. I had nothing else on, just just my pant, my regular pants. And I went out and the, you couldn't see anything in the hallway. And there were people running up and down the hallway screaming. You couldn't see anything. The smoke was already so dense. And I ran over and tried to open the uh, escape stairs door because I was the last room on the right before the escape right. stairs on the front of the building. And, uh, and I, could, I could turn the knob, but I couldn't open the door. And I thought, oh Jesus! So I went back in the room, and uh, I'm trying to think what I got. I got my glasses because I don't see very well. I got a pair of shoes, no socks. Uh, I I never put a shirt on. I don't think. Mm. I don't. I don't. Re- I don't really remember. Uh, I I took my wallet. Mm. And then I thought, I can't get down the escape stairs. I've got I've to go the other way, which is where the elevators were. And I only got two doors down. The smoke was so thick, I couldn't, you know, you couldn't function. Right. And I, I opened the door and I was in another room with a couple, an older couple from Mexico City and an older couple from Chicago who had both, I guess, one of of the couples, that was their room, and the other one had just gotten in. And so we were in that room until 11.45. And I heard, leaning out the window, I heard in Spanish first that the fire was out before I heard in English, like 20 minutes earlier. Really? Yeah, somebody yelled out.
0: And you're all just waiting because you can't get out. Yeah. And you said, I think you, and you told me you're watching the news well, as it's Well, it's
1: so, it's so weird because, you know, there were, there were five of us in the room and I, I don't know why, but I walked over and turned the TV set on and God, on the TV is a reporter with a microphone standing in front of the building we were in, which is on fire with smoke bellowing out of it, saying this is the worst thing that's ever happened in Las Vegas. It's such a tragedy. You know, people are surely dying and stuff yeah. and we were sitting there looking at it and it was a, it was very a very blurry very uh like like your old tvs were in the 50s and uh and finally it just blacked out i guess oh. stuff got burned or stuff but yeah. uh for for about five minutes we got to watch the hotel we were in burn oh my god it was, yeah it was it was really it was terrible. I took a chair and I broke the, the big window and uh, then smoke started pouring in from the, the room below us into our window like a chimney. And I, I, first I thought uh, I had to fix that. So I, I took the big coverlet. The first thing I did when I got in the room was I ran the tub full of water and, uh, and the sink full of water. And at that point, smoke was coming out of the sink, out of of the middle of the sink.
0: Oh, my gosh. Smoke coming
1: out of it freaked me right out. Yeah. And I took the uh, coverlet. that was a big twin bed or twin. uh, It was either a queen or a king. Mm -hmm. And I, I soaked the coverlet in water and I threw it out the window and it hung over the windows below. It was big enough to hang that far down. And so you could always see the room we were in because it was a big floral coverlet hanging, hanging on the side of the building. I can still see it. Well, you know, yeah, I see pictures yeah. of it. I can see the room we were in. So and, trauma uh,
0: does, all the detail. And then
1: the smoke stopped coming into our room, but then it dawned on me that the room below us might be on fire. And, uh, and we, had, we had wet tissue and put it in the, uh, uh, in the air vents, because smoke was coming out of the air vents. And I had always been told that if you touched the door and it was hot and you couldn't keep your hand on it, there was fire on the other side. And I touched the door and of course it was hot. So I was, I mean, I was, I was freaking. And uh, I told the people, I told the, the, the Mexican people in Spanish and the, the other people, I said, the floor is gonna collapse. I think the building, I think the floor The apartment under us is on fire. That's why the smoke came out. So we wet towels and put towels over our head. And I said, let's make a chain and try to get to the middle of the building. Stupid. And uh, so I started and you couldn't see anything. It was just dense black smoke. And we were running and I ran into the wall there are jams that come out from the wall there, and I with a mirror on them. I'm glad I didn't break the mirror, but uh, I I ran into it sideways and cracked some ribs and stuff, and I fell down. So the guy who was holding my hand thought I had fallen through the floor, and they all panicked and ran back to the room and left me, <laughs> left oh. me out there. And uh, I I had always been told in Boy Scouts that if there was a fire and you got right next to the floor, that there would be oxygen. And that's, that unfortunately is not true. <laughs> it was just as dense down there as it was if you were standing up. So I started crawling back to the room and beating on the door with my right fist and they finally let me in. But it was, uh, it was, it was a mess. Was
0: there, the room was filling with smoke too or with the, no? It had a little more, it had
1: room. filled with smoke, but when I wet the the, uh, uh, the bedspread and threw it over the uh, uh, the window below us, it stopped the smoke coming in.
0: It's so interesting what we think we would do in an emergency Ugh. and some people freeze and then you, the way you I acted- tore, I
1: tore that place apart. I mean-
0: Oh my gosh. You know. But you're waiting thinking like th- th- you're not waiting for a superhero to bust through the door and get you out at no. this point, right? You're no, just like, I didn't, this might be the, the nobody end. Nobody knew
1: where the fire was. All we knew yeah. was there was a lot of smoke and you could see the fire on the television.
0: So how did you finally, you heard that the fire was out. Did they come to each room? Yeah. Or did they?
1: Yeah. And it took a, it took a bit. Cause I was on 21. <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my gosh. So and then they the escort fireman, you guys down. Did you guys have to go to the hospital? firemen came up
1: and they were knocking on, on doors and saying, is anybody in there? And I was thrilled to have them.
0: Oh, this was the best sound in the whole world.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, and I didn't care about walking down 21 floors. I just didn't. But the terrible thing was anybody who had gotten into the staircase, the staircase was like a chimney. So it just filled with smoke. And I think everybody that got in it died.
0: And that's why you couldn't open the door. That's why I couldn't
1: open the door. There were bodies on the other side of the door, Yeah. yeah.
0: Did they take you to the hospital for your ribs?
1: no or did you no i didn't i didn't have my ribs taken care of till i got back to la i mean they were sore but you know and all they did was tape me
0: and then there's there you said bluebell and and dawn were on a different floor and they changed but if they had been up higher oh like, they might, might been not up higher.
1: Have... they could have been dead yeah you know
0: what happened with the cat? I mean, because did people just go home? Because I imagine there's a lot of trauma, a lot of PTSD. Did people just disperse or like, you're not going to go put the show together because now the show is.
1: Well, uh, uh, Diana Eden had gotten a room in, at the Maxim across from us. And so and I, I was taken to, uh, uh, to a gymnasium at uh, the University of, of, of Nevada where, where the Red Cross was. And, uh, and I was helping make lists. I was making the list for all the people that were with me so we could make sure that we were all accounted for. And, uh, and they were writing the lists in pencil on paper pads. I mean, it was, it was just so off the cuff. And yeah. at one point uh, I, I said, and one of my milliners, Anita Olazabel, And the the Red Cross guy said, oh, we have an Elizabeth here. And I said, oh, great. And he said, do you want to talk to them? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And they had those old fashioned phones like a walkie talkie, you know? And uh, they rang a number. There was an hospital, I guess. And uh, someone said, hello. and, And it was a guy's voice. And I thought, oh my God, it's not Anita, it's her husband, Aaron. And I said, Aaron, I said, it's it's Pete Menefee. And he screamed into the phone, where is my wife? What happened to my wife? Uh, And I said, oh Jesus, Aaron, you know, I don't know, I don't know. And the terrible thing was they had passed out in each other's arms and they were on a low floor, but they had passed out holding onto each other uh, and they airlifted Anita out of state and they took Aaron to a a hospital that was close by in Vegas. So they both thought the other person had died.
0: So when people go home and then this show comes back, I mean, I know that we absorbed some and I
1: got us us airplane tickets and we all flew back on Southwest uh, to Burbank and got to our homes. And then three days later, they flew everybody up at the Maxim and we had a meeting, production meeting with Don and the whole cast and the whole crew. And uh, they were, they said that they wanted to try to do the show and open it in August. And I thought that's never going to happen.
0: Yeah. I just think how uh, sad or scary it would be to step back in there without a little bit of like time to debrief and and understand that how scary and terrifying people probably couldn't even quite process that. Nobody could.
1: And you know, the kids didn't live at the hotel.
0: Yeah.
1: Everybody lived, you know, off on their own. And of course, all the people that were on green cards had to go back to their countries. Oh, Oh. so we lost like a third of the cast. A a lot of our nudes, a lot of our nudes, because they had come from Paris and Wales and, Italy and
0: When I talked to Liz Lark and there was a few I think she was supposed to be in that show and then they went to Hello Hollywood yeah. There's some people that were there and then Hello Hollywood hired, hired some of them but but I just think even it would be pretty intense to come back in and start rehearsals after that happening oh.
1: Well you know three months later they started five months worth of rehearsals again Really? Yeah. Did,
0: did a lot of the cast that were able to did they come back? Yeah Okay, wow.
1: And meanwhile, uh, they flew Diana and George and me back up and we were going to go down in the, in the dressing rooms and look at uh, what damage had been done to the clothes. And of course it wasn't fire damage. The thing that was a problem was the water from the hoses had all gone down to the basement. Yeah. So there was three feet of water. And the firemen wouldn't let us down because they hadn't checked for bodies.
0: Oh, oh. Down
1: below, yeah.
0: Oh. So, uh
1: We weren't we weren't allowed to go in that day, and then eventually they hired they they uh, rented a hangar, and we got um, nine million sheets, and uh, all the clothes went in in pile, not in piles by individual on the sheets. And we tried to put the show together and see what, what was damaged beyond repair, what could be, what had been above you know, the waterline, but uh, almost everything, every rhinestone in the whole show had to be taken out of the setting. The settings had to be washed and cleaned and re nickeled And then the rhinestones had to have the backing on them taken off and re-mirrored.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) That just barely got done before we opened in August. I mean, it took them that long to do it. And we had a mirror company in Los Angeles do that. So People uh, see those
0: shows and not understand, like the fact that just making it was so much work, but then to have to redo and- Well,
1: you know, to to spend a year and a half and then have somebody say, well, you know, we're gonna open in August and you go uh that's six months guys and of course a lot of stuff had to be changed because the feathers could not be done could not could not possibly have been done that time yeah so a lot of the designs were changed and uh, and were reordered differently Mm -hmm. you know
0: that's just that is, and I know Athena is doing a whole episode, which it feels like there's so much more in that story. And this is such a weird place to end because we, we have, we, we should probably end here and then have to come back for part three, four, five, six, and seven, because there's <laughs> so much more of your career, but I'm just curious, like, because your career, there's so many, there's beautiful things. There's hard things. You've lost, you lost a good friend in the fire. When you look at this, like, I don't even have a question. I don't even, I'm just so in awe of like, you've lived such a a full life, but there's heartache and there's beauty and there's resilience. I don't really have anything to say. I usually have something to say at the end, but I just, you know, I don't want to have a nice little fluffy bow at the end. I'm just curious of when you, when you, when you remember these things, like I know we have all these stories, but when you start to do it a little bit more sequential and you add details, it kind of brings stuff up of the memories come back a little bit stronger. Like this feels like it could be a very traumatic thing to remember, but I also like, there's something of how it even could come back together. People not just say we don't want to do this. This was too much to yeah. come back into.
1: Yeah. Well, that was my first thought was that it was uh, uh, kind of pie in the sky that we could even do it in that yeah. amount of time. Uh, and uh, you know, it, and it, it it had to be done from scratch. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. The shoes were screwed up because they had been either on the floor or on the table. Um,
0: so, what was that like when that show opened? And you knew it was already hard enough to do it without that huge.
1: It was a relief when it was open.
0: Was it to get to yeah, see that big, finally big come relief. to life? I can't imagine, like, the cast, like, this is this huge new show. And I've heard the stories of people rehearsing, but I've not heard it from the perspective of the fire. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That yeah, feels I like it made, makes me think the scene in, in the hello Hollywood, the San Francisco scene with the earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. And that song, I mean, I know it was cheesy, you know, in some way, but it was one of my favorite things of this, this town will rise again. This town. Yeah. I can't believe I still remember that it was 40 years ago. Yeah. But I remember there's something that makes me think of that, of that, that show bit, like people are kind of tattered and torn, but you see this come together and people come around each other for support. When you realize we can't do yeah. this alone and, and hold this much trauma and, uh, uncertainty and then yeah. to see the cast with what art does too it doesn't solve it but it also makes it more glorious when you rise above it
1: yeah and it, and it was god knows it was a, a group effort i mean it yeah. really was and everybody you know was at the top of their game and and uh, you know god.
0: well um, I will have to end it here. And there's okay. a lot to chew on there because I've, I've always wanted to know about that and wasn't sure what's okay to ask because I only knew people that knew somebody that knew somebody. But um, yeah, I just want to say like your kindness and what you offer again makes this even feel more beautiful in the context of the life you've lived no. um, to offer people like some goodness when things are hard and like yeah to not make it like you said the pie in the sky but like. We got to do this together. And if we lift each other up, it's a lot more successful than when we tear each other down.
1: Oh yeah. Well, no, there was no time for tearing down at all. Right. It had all been done. Wow.
0: This has been amazing. And I'm so thankful that you agreed to another one. Um, I just feel (laughs) like when I feel like I had a little bit of a fangirl thing, like meeting you, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then when like even to, you know accept my friendship on Facebook, that feels you know, like, oh my gosh, Pete's my friend. <laughs> uh, and then to do interview, and I love following all your stuff on Facebook, and all your posts of birds makes me even more delighted when I think ah, of your knowledge of feathers. I'm like, well, of course this thing of these beautiful birds and their color no, and their texture no, no, is no. even more... You,
1: you know how that happened? No. I, I love uh, owls. I love raptors. Ah. And, uh, and I had posted some owl stuff. And Karen uh, Karen Kaufman Fetter from the uh, uh, Nevada Museum started sending me bird stuff. And a lot of it was really interesting and really pretty. So I started reposting it, saying, you know, this is from Karen Kaufman Fetter, and this is from Ally Cat, and this is from, you know, Jerry yeah. Railton. And then more people kept doing it, and everybody thinks I'm a birder. <laughs> and I, I love oh, i love animals I, yeah. I post a lot of uh, i post a lot of uh, you know cats and dogs and
0: yeah, horses and, the...
1: you know uh um, oh, so stuff i love i i love uh, wildlife and uh, but the bird thing is is funny because now everybody thinks you know i'm the bird guy
0: <laughs> <laughs> i had a unicorn card and so my mom thought i'd like unicorns so even into my late 20s i kept getting unicorn I'm like mom I don't I'm not really into unicorns but thank you but <laughs> it was yeah. just like oh but you put you had this one thing so that means that that's you yeah oh, that's well, awesome. people. yeah
1: people get hooked on something and then yeah. you're stuck with it but I like it and and I love uh I love Facebook I love being in in touch with uh people I've worked with from Don's shows uh from all the ice shows because I did a ton of I've I've done every ice show in the world. And uh and from from people I danced with. I'm still good friends with with people that I worked with when I was 18 years old.
0: Well it's interesting if Facebook wasn't a thing, like I would never I mean we wouldn't have known about the reunion of how to get a hold of each other. I wouldn't have found these people. I wouldn't have yeah I wouldn't have pieced a lot of my memories together that has come from like seeing the photos and the story. So I feel like there's something I know the younger people are doing Instagram, but they're like, I like Facebook because I want to see the photos and I want to hear the stories. And, yeah. Well, uh, that's the other thing. I... Oh, your light Hello? just went out. Yeah, I, I'm still here.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, I had never taken a lot of photos. So uh, when, when I got in, in 2012, when I finally got on computer, I started stealing everybody's photos
0: yes oh my gosh we too my photo was much better than it was in the 70s Uh uh-oh oh we have we lost pete but we were at the end of our recording anyway so i think his battery ran out so i will thank him privately but thank you pete menifee for your story and thank you all for listening to bluebells forever